Hello. Hello. Welcome. I would normally say, go and say hello to someone you know, but then it becomes like a, you know, people will go from there outside to the car park to say hello. Because in our ethnic culture, we can't just say hello. We need to know how are you, what are you doing, how's your family, you got a daughter I can marry, things like that, you know. But everyone, just turn around and say hello to someone you don't know, quickly. We don't do it when we say goodbye because we all go on a goodbye tour. Everyone wants to say goodbye to everyone 15 minutes. All right. First of all, before you remain standing, I want to honour tonight uh, Chris. Where's Chris? He's done a runner. I knew he's going to do a runner. There he is. It's happy birthday, Chris. His birthday, give him a round of applause. You know, someone asked me, how do you do what you do? How do Rabs, you know, you guys have got a family, you've got a business to run, and we run a church, run a Bible studies, we're out ministering, out, you know, praying for people. All right, that's it. I've had enough already. I'm joking. <laughs> and they say, how do you do that? I says, by the grace of God, first of all. But second of all, it's about the people that serve us, and it's not us, but serve the kingdom and serve the body of Christ. And I thank everyone here, the girls looking after the kids inside, the, 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 the media, the, the, the promotions, the giving, the opening up their houses for inviting people. It's all one body, amen? We're all one big family. When, as soon as we get a hold of the fact that we're not running an organisation but we're running a family and we're serving the King of Kings, our Father in heaven, the quicker we will grow in the things of the kingdom, amen? Does that make sense? You're not here as a number or a member. You can join a church but not be a Christian. Just because I was born in a hospital doesn't make me a doctor. But you're a part of this wonderful family in Christ, amen? God bless the whole body of Christ, but we are called to do what we're called to do, amen? And in Romans 12, um, Romans 12, 7, it talks about the gifts that God's bestowed upon you by, by faith. You know, if you prophesy, prophesy according to your faith. And tonight I'm going to exalt, the next it was exalt according to your faith. So tonight I'm going to exalt you in the living victory of Jesus. Amen. There's a lot of doom and gloom around. You know, someone asked me, can you summarize your ministry? I said, well, between me and Rabs, we're like the Kusa ministry. You know, the zucchini. You get a zucchini and you gut out all the stuff that's in there. Then you just jam meat and rice and whatever you're doing there. Then we cook it. So, so I'm the one that cooks, but Rev's the one that jams the meat in, all right? So it's the Kusa ministry. It's the zucchini ministry. Why? Because God wants to fill us with him. We're all in this world. The Bible says that we're all, all of God's creation. We're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. We're not all God's children. Until you make that commitment to follow Christ, then you're a son and daughter. Amen? Amen? You can be seated. God bless you. Again, thanks to everyone that serves and thank you from myself and Rabs and Rita and Janet. And We can only do what we do because, one, we love it. Two, God graces us to do it. And three, what better, what else would you do than serving the Lord Jesus? This world is fading away. There's a scripture that says, your life is nothing but a vapour. You're here for what, 80, 90, 100 years? And then what do you spend the rest of eternity I'd rather be with my Jesus, amen. Paul said it this way. I know a man that went to the third heaven. That was him. Whether in the body and out of the body, I do not know. But he goes, I'd rather be with him. But for the sake of the gospel, I'm here. 
But whether I live or die, I'm going to go with him. He wanted to be with Jesus. He didn't care about this world. And we as believers, we need to not hold on to the things of this world. The Bible says be in the world, but not of the world. We shouldn't be moved by what we see. We shouldn't be moved by what's going on around us. We only move by what the Word of God says. Amen? Who wants to be free? See, a lot of Christians put their hand up. But can I say this? You are free. But we don't live in freedom. We don't live in victory. We are supposed to live in victory. We can talk about victory. We can talk about knowing the truth and the truth will set us free. We can talk about how Jesus won the battle, but we have to live it out. Jesus said this, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and, but I have come to give you life, louder, and more abundantly in fullness. We need to know what Christ has already done for us. So we, when we pray, do we pray out of loss or do we pray out of victory? Do you honestly, do you know that you already won the victory and we live out of that victory? But who knows that we're on a walk of sanctification. We're on a walk because we live in this world and we want to put our agenda before God's agenda. And God's saying to me, I've won the victory, but there is a battle in front of you. There's a story in the Bible with the 12 spies. I don't know if you know, Moses had just now taken the, the Israelites or the Hebrew people out of Egypt. And they saw the miracles. They saw the manna in heaven come down from heaven and they ate. They saw quails come down. They saw the water coming out of the rocks. They saw the, the Red Sea part. They saw so many different miracles and God's mercy upon their life throughout the desert, through the wilderness, through the hardship. Then he says, he goes, I, I picked 12 men, one from every tribe to go and spy out the land because God has given us this land. See, God has already given them the land. Who owns the land? The Father God. True? Adam was only supposed to be have dominion over the land, but he lost that at the garden and the enemy took the keys of the dominion in the garden. But God still owns it. Amen? Don't think God's lost control because he hasn't. So they go and spy out the land. Twelve people see this very same thing. When they come back to give a report, two people says, yes, we can take the land. We can win this. We can take it. And the other ten said, no way. There's giants in the land. Same people saw the same thing, knew the same, got the same message from, from God the Father saying that this is your land. I've given you this land. I've taken you through the wilderness to get you to this land. And 10 of them come back and give a bad report. They went by what they saw. They saw giants in the land. They saw mighty men of valor, men of war, all these things. We can't take this land. But God said, there's two blokes, Joshua and Caleb said, but we can take this land. God gave us the land. God is with us. We can fight this battle. The victory's ours. They said, no, we can't. And they went and walked around for 40 years. Gave a bad report. Can I tell you, the two that saw the promised land and believed God for the promise, was there going to be a fight in the land? There was. Was there going to be a bit of a hurdle? There was. Was there going to be a few obstacles to get there? But it was their land. Instead, every one of those guys died in the wilderness except Joshua and Caleb, and they were the only two that walked into that land. There's so many Christians looking by what they see because there's too many giants in the land. You know, the problem isn't the giant. The problem is you dealing with that giant because you can run away from your problems. You can run away from your insecurity. You can run away from everything and quote scriptures all day. You can quote 15,000 scriptures a day and not believe one of them. It's a good place to start. Speak the word over your life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But we need to come to a, 
an anchor point. We need to be steadfast, which means stand strong in knowing that Christ has won the victory. Amen. I don't care what you're going through. It could look like hell on earth. We're still winning the victory. The victory is ours. Because we're going to understand that we're coming from a place of victory. When we pray, we pray from victory. We pray from what Jesus did at the cross. Everything has to come through. The, even if I'm dealing with hell itself and I'm in sin, I've got to come out of the cross and I need God to help me. Don't ask God for something he's already given you. He's given us freedom. He's given us sonship. Not talking about male, like gender. I'm talking about a position in the family. Amen? Can I get some lights here or is that just the way it is? No? If you don't mind, it looks, seems that's better. Thank you. Let's go. I want to read a story about Paul here. If there's anyone in the Bible, in the New Testament, that speaks about the battle that we're in, speaks about the revelations of grace, that speaks about the deep revelations of the Old Testament, the one that would make shake foundations in the world, the one that pioneered an apostolic anointing was the Apostle Paul. The one that spoke about God's favour more than anyone. The one that spoke about God's grace more than anyone. God's freedom more than anyone. But I want to read this little part of Scripture. It's um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. And we'll read down. I want to give you a little bit of a picture of what Paul is saying here. And I want you to see from your eyes and my eyes, we read this passage of Scripture and this story and find out how can this man be in victory or what he just went through. And then we can talk about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's read. So Paul's addressing the Corinthian church. Now the Corinthians was in Corinth. It's in Greece. But there was Jewish converts there as well. So they were a mixture. Then he says here, talking to certain people, he says, are they Hebrews? He says, I'm a Hebrew. I am an Israelite. I am from the seed of Abraham. So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labours, more abundantly in stripes above measure. He's been whipped. In prison, more frequently in deaths often, nearly being killed so many times. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one, meaning he got whipped. The maximum you can get whipped by under the Jewish law was 40 times, less one. Now the Jewish whip was just one whip. So they whip you 39 times. Christ's whip wasn't a Jewish whip. It was a... Roman whip with cat and nine tails, with, with glass and clay and metal on the end of the whips. People say, well, Jesus was whipped um, 39 times, 39 stripes on his back. That's the healing. That's all the diseases. Rubbish. Because the Jews didn't whip Jesus. The Romans did. And all they were said to do is just don't kill him. He got whipped and got marred. But Paul, he's saying, I've been whipped by the Jews um, 40, uh, five times, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned three times. I was shipwrecked night and day and I've been in the deep. When I was, he was three, many times he got shipwrecked and floating in the water of the deep water at night, day and night. In journeys often, perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils in the, of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness, often hungry and thirst, in fasting often, in cold nakedness. Besides the, the other things, what comes up me comes up upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. 
shipwrecked, bashed, stoned, left to die, left to be hungry, turned on him by false brethren, backstabbed. Um, and all he's concerned is, is the church. Us. Not the building, not the organization, but the people. He says here in verse 29, who is weak and I am not weak? Or who is made to stumble? I do not burn with indignation. In other words, I'm not weak. I might look like I'm weak, but I'm not weak. What did he say? He who is weak, he is strong. See, when you come to the end of yourself, then Christ can manifest through you. Then he says here, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And Paul here is trying to tell these guys, you want to boast? You want to follow certain teachers? You want to follow these people that got it made? Let me boast. He tells you, and he actually says, I'm not one of the super apostles, but this is who I am. And he starts to tell them, because he had planted churches. He had been preaching the gospel. He says, I'm not asking you to do something I'm not willing to go through. See, that's, see, don't ever get attached to someone that's not willing to go through anything that he expects you to go through. Oh, but God cannot forgive me from this sin. Well, Peter asked him, if your brother sins, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? He goes, 70 times seven. God's not going to ask you to do something that he's not willing to do himself. See, Jesus went to the cross. See, Jesus was a man of victory. Let's look at the man Jesus now. Not just he's the son of God and he was there, the alpha. But the man that walked on this earth. Do you, do you think he had a few problems on earth? I think he did. I mean, people that want to kill you, that's a bit of a problem. I want to push you off the temple because he said a few words. That, that's a problem. They want to stone him. No, that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> Jesus never had it easy on this earth. But Jesus was a man that understood his father. He understood what his purpose and plan was on this, on this world. Paul was a man that understood his purpose and plan on this earth. But if you look at Paul's writings, you look at Jesus, they all come back from one place. Yes, there are things that we need. We need to repent. We need to receive Christ as our Lord and Saviour. We need to give up our life for his life. But they all come from a place of the victory of the cross. Paul says it this way, I know nothing else among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We might look at that from our traditional background. Well, Jesus died while people wear black on Good Friday. Mate, that's the victory of our salvation. Yes, we're sorry that Jesus went through the, that, but too many people are mourning a death that it's life. He says, oh, death, where is your thing? In Corinthians. He don't want to be things you. He thinks he's one. He stung you. And you go, ah, he dies and you stay alive. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death stung Jesus, but guess what Jesus did? He overcome the grave. That's the God you serve. That's the God I serve. He'd overcome the grave. And we're going to live out of that place of victory. As I said earlier, John 10.10, 10, the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. There's nothing good out of the devil. And there's nothing good out of people that serve the devil that look like good people. Because Paul says here, false brethren. So there must have been believers in the church that were false. It says here that, but Jesus said, I come to give you life, a life in the fullness. Who gives you life? 
I'll wait till these all wake up. Who gives you life? And gives it in what? Fullness, abundance, overflow. Romans 8.31 says, What shall I say then in response to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I want to, I want to, I just, I just want to listen to my heart tonight. We are going to go through struggles. The Bible says, in this world, you will have struggles. But take heed, be of good cheer. Hold on to the fact that, but Jesus has overcome the world. No matter what you're going through, are you coming at a place of a victim or a place of victory? Even if you're going through the valley of the shadow, Psalm 23 says it. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. So he's saying, even if I walk through darkness, I'll fear no evil, for he is with me. Who is with you? His rod and staff comfort you. And then he says, if he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemy. What happens when we have communion, guys? We put the Lord's table in front of our enemy, the devil, and we tell him that the victory is won through the body and blood of Jesus. And then he anoints us with the Holy Spirit. Then our cup overflows. You see, you, you, you're, you, where you are today is based on what you believe. Where you are today is based on what you won't let go of. See, what Adam, people say Eve ate the fruit in the garden and we all blame, we all blame Eve, yeah? I do. Or was her fault? It's her fault. It's her. You don't know where my wife is? Nah, it's not her fault. See, she was beguiled, the Bible says, or tricked or deceived, but Adam sinned. See, it's not what Adam did in the garden that caused sin. Thank God she came in late. Look. <laughs> it wasn't what Adam did in the garden, it's what Adam didn't do in the garden. The Adam's job was to tend to it, keep it, subdue it, look after it, be the gatekeeper. Why were they talking to the enemy in the first place? He snuck in, wore him down, then they're having a conversation. His job was to kick him out. Why would you have to subdue something or, or, or tend to it or keep it, look after it if there's no one else coming in? But what he didn't do was do his job and allowed the enemy in, and guess what? Caused destruction in his life. See, where we are today is based on what we believe and what we trust in. What am I prepared to give up to have life? See, some people have to give up their story to have life. I learned this a long time ago. I lose my story for his story. When I sit with someone and they tell me their problems, I'll listen. And that's our job. But if I come and tell me the same story a year, three, ten years later, guess what? you still got your story and you haven't told me his story. When you can tell me what Jesus has done for you, and less, less, more importantly, what Jesus has done for us, then I know that you're healed. Then I know you can grow to the next level. Lose your story for his story. Even if now oh, I've got a story, I want to oh, let go. All right, good. But tell me about his story. So when, I tell, when you tell me about Jesus' story, your story means nothing because it just gets wiped out. And then I want to walk with my head held high. See, a lot of people want to be happy in life. You can go to the beach, have a nice happy day. You can buy a house, nice happy day. You can get a nice job, nice happy. You're happy, but you have no joy. I know a lot of rich people have no joy. They're miserable, no different than the guy sitting on the park bench in Parramatta Park. 
I've been to many homes. You walk out, wow, look at this two-story mansion, five Mercedes cars, and they're the most miserable human beings I've ever met. And they're no different than the guy that's homeless sitting in the street. Because God doesn't look at any different. He wants to see the heart of an individual because God loves his people. So I said to me, how do you minister? You always seem to hit the nail on the head when you minister. He said, I've got a philosophy. You want to hear the secret? He said, Shh, come. I'll tell you the secret what the Lord showed me. He said, what? Okay, come, come. Everybody's messed up. <laughs> Everybody's messed up. Everybody has an issue. If you live in this world and you have blood flowing through your veins, you've got issues. I used to think my family was a bit messed up. We had issues. And I used to say other people's family, I want to be in that family. Then I grew up and realized they're messed up. They look good on the outside. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs. Anybody know what a whitewashed tomb is? No? Remember Jesus was having a go at the Pharisees? Is you whitewashed tombs? You look great on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. A whitewashed tomb in, the, in Israel is where you got buried. So we get buried on, well, depends where you are. You can get burnt, buried, I don't know. Get mummified, I don't know what you used to do these days. But they used to put, when they died, they put them away and they put their bones, if they were wealthy, that is, put them in a box. I don't know what the box is called. I can't, lost it. Then they put it in a whitewashed tomb, which is a tomb painted white. And Jesus says, you're like those tombs out there. You look nice and bright on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. We don't want to be a people like that. We don't want people to live out of victory, amen? We want people to know that I have got a struggle, I've got a need, I've got a problem, but I'm coming out of the place of victory. I was telling my wife this in the car. How do we now be in a fight, be in a battle, but we've won? Does someone ask that question? Look, we're in a fight. The Bible says fight the good fight of faith. The Bible says we're in a battle. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood. Our battle is against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, evil spirits in, in high places. The Bible talks about that the world's coming against us and all these stories about a fight, but then we say we've already won. But in the fight, but are winning. I remember this story. It was, just, it was probably... A silly analogy, but I want to share this because I shared this with my wife in the car. And I said, well, I, was, I was 17, 18, and I, got, I, was, I used to play rugby league, and I got promoted to an A-grade side, which was open age. And that year, I, played, I got called up halfway through the season. So I played rugby league, and I was playing, and had a great season. I had the rookie of the year, and not far long after that, I got signed to go to Parramatta. But that year was my greatest season ever. I was 17, 18, playing with big men, older men. And I hurt my shoulder. I busted my shoulder. And we just made the grand final. So the whole team was pretty injured by that time. So on the week of the grand final, we had a week off and we were getting physio and doing all the things. So we took injections, painkillers to go play. And everybody was busted. People were taking painkillers, injections, whatever they could do to play that grand final. We were pretty banged up. And there was a man that never played the whole season. I wasn't part of that squad in the earlier years. He was an older man. He would have been about 30. And he had a really bad knee and he's retired. But he trained to try and come back to play. It was grand final and the coach picked him in the side. And they're going, wait, wait, wait. How'd you pick that old? He's old. He's got one leg. He can hardly walk. 
He's you know, beyond his years. We're playing a grand final. hasn't played all season. And he's not fit. And it was strange because I was a young guy. Most of them were older than me. But this guy came in. So we ran on the field in the grand final. And we were pretty messed up, as I said, physically. And this guy ran on the field. And I could see the other side. And I noticed something. He went up, stood up at the front. He was a big man, big old. And he, they did the toss. And he looked at him. And I saw fear in their eye. We played the game. There was something that happened that day. Even though we still had to play the game, we still had to score the tries, we still had to kick the goals, we still had to, we're in the battle. We knew that we had it won because the fear in their eye, because this one man was on the field. The guy could hardly run, didn't hardly make a tackle, and he played 20 minutes. But that guy being on the field gave us a confidence. There was something about we knew we had the victory. Imagine that man, a simple man doing that to a, a football team. How much more Jesus on your side, standing on your side in a battle against the enemy, a battle against your problems, a battle against the world. We have the victory because he's for us, he's not against us. Does that make sense? You just know when you stand with someone. I remember as a, as a young guy, I had a lot of talent. I'd preach and teach. And then about, yep, the world was coming against me. But when I stood around my pastors, my leaders, and they didn't have to say nothing. They didn't pray. They didn't do nothing. They'd just be there. I just knew that I could take on the world. Because when you have spiritual authority around you, imagine more Jesus on your side, walking with you, talking with you. You got the victory is yours. Live or die, we win. Amen? The Israelites were given the promised land. It's yours. Imagine God saying, coming down saying, this building's yours. Thanks, Lord. And we all go home. And we don't believe what God just said. Caleb and Joshua believed. Joshua ended up leading the Israelites into Egypt. Moses didn't go in. God's transferred the leadership to Joshua. Joshua means Jesus, means saviour. The word Joshua is Joshua, comes from the same word as Yeshua. They'll walk around the desert for what, 40 years? Joshua becomes the leader, three days into the promised land. What's that picture of? Christ came three days and three nights to take us into the promised land. Old Testament, it was a place. New Testament, it's a position. We have the promised land. His name is Jesus, amen. Caleb saw the promised land. If you read the story of Caleb, it's amazing. He was a faithful leader. And when he got, he got, he saw the land and he had to wait 40 years, but he never gave up hope of what he saw. He never gave up the promise in his heart. Even though they're walking through the desert, 40 years in peril, in, in, in wilderness. But guess what? The promise was his and he obtained his promise. He got the land he wanted. You know, us as Christians, can I ask you an honest question, honestly? Are we walking in victory or are we walking to victory? Are we walking in faith? Are we trying to get faith? Are we walking in sonship and daughtership or are we just trying to fit in? What is it that you're lacking from the Lord? Because it's not God's problem. It's your problem. It's my problem. See, the Rebbe has been teaching on the spirits that come against you and he's been teaching six months, 12 months before that, what's in you to purge your heart. Why? Because we want to get Christ in us, not the world in us. How many, how many people know that you can be a Christian and still have all the messes the world has? There's tears and weeks. They grow together. Sheep and goats, they're all together. 
Right now in the, in the dispensation of grace right now, we're in a moment of grace. God's putting up with a lot of stuff that normally we wouldn't. But it's coming to a time where God's ready to separate the goats from the sheep, take out the tares and the wheat. I was saying earlier, I said, I've got a little veggie patch. I'm the worst gardener that ever hit the planet. All right? I put a seed of uh, cucumbers. And now they're growing and there's a lot of leaves, but there's no cucumbers in there. I just want to eat the cucumbers. I don't want to water it every day. I don't want to dig it. I just want to eat. But I noticed that, oh, they're growing really nice and that, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of weeds and a lot of grass growing with them. And the grass is just as healthy as the cucumbers and the mint and the parsley. They're all growing together in the same plantation, but one is of fruit and one is not of fruit. What are we sowing into our life? Yes, Jesus is your Lord and Saviour. Yes, we come to Bible studies. But what are you watering? Are you watering the tares and the wheat? Are you watering the weeds? Are you watering unbelief? Are you watering unforgiveness? Are you watering hopelessness? Are you, what are you watering? They're all going to grow together. They're all going to come to harvest one day. So if I put a plant, I said to someone the other day, if I put a plant, uh, a seed in the ground of cucumbers, a month, whatever, two months, you'll have cucumbers. But if I plant a seed of a, of a palm tree or a gum tree, that's all 50, 100, 200 years, true? But at some point, they're all going to come to harvest. You know, there's some stuff in our lives that we're planting, and not out of victory, out of fear, out of unbelief, out of disobedience. We're planting them, and you've got a great time with the Lord now, but they're both growing together. Until you chop them off, they're going to grow together, and they're going to choke each other. This whole world is about sowing and reaping. When you hear sowing and reaping, you hear money all the time. You've been around the church long enough. But sowing and reaping, God sowed Jesus onto this earth and he died. Jesus said it this way, if a kernel of wheat doesn't fall to the ground and die, it will not produce much fruit. He was saying, well, if I don't die and go to the belly of the earth, and it was God sowed his son into the earth. Where did Adam come from? Adam came from the dust of the earth. Adam's spirit was for God's spirit. God breathed into Adam. He may have became a living soul. Adam fell, corrupted his spirit. Every man after Adam is corrupted. We all sin nature. Amen. We all came from sin. But Christ came as Adam without sin through the power of the Holy Spirit, through a virgin birth. And in that same Jesus was sowed into the earth where Adam came for to break the curse, to rise again, to give me and you life. That's the gospel. The good news. Let's live out of the good news. Remember one guy kept coming to me. With, he had an issue with his girlfriend. And I listened. It was his fiance. That's it. I'm going to have a break. Have a break and just see where your hearts are. A week later, I went out for dinner with my fiance. So what happened to the break? I had a week. <laughs> two weeks later, we're having issues. So I have a break. It lasted two and a half weeks this time. And same problem. This was happening month after month. Finally, he goes, look, I want to talk to you. I don't hear anymore. Leave me alone. Hopped in the car and drove off. I look back at the vision mirror. He's sitting there like this. He's a big guy. He's like nearly crying in the middle of the road. I felt bad. I thought, are you serious? He's big and he's looking at me and I can see him in the revision mirror. I'm going, what's wrong with this bloke? He's just, <laughs> next day I saw him. I thought, I better say something to his guy. I just, I don't want to hear it anymore. I heard it when I was in fifth grade. I don't want to hear it now. When he goes, can I talk to you? I go, are we going to talk about what I think we're going to talk about? He goes, no. Is you yelled at me. I said, I wasn't yelling. It was just, I'm a loud, I've got a loud voice. I was in a hurry, you know. It was, um, 
I'd work next. I don't know. Yeah, I yelled at you. All right, I yelled. He goes, but you know what? That yelling woke me up. I thought, sound like a baby. He went home, made a decision to have a break. He had a break. Never went back to her. Now he found a beautiful girl, got married, and he has a kid, and his life is abundantly blessed. He said, see the pace to yell at your kids. <laughs> and I had that come in and start yelling at her. This called me. And I didn't mean anything by it. I said, and I was just, part of it was a joke, and part of it was, I don't want to hear your stupid love stories. See, if you want to regurgitate, you know a cow? All right. Any farmers here that run cattle? <laughs> didn't, didn't think so. <laughs> hey, we got a few people that shoot them, but no, no, people that. A cow, what it does, it eats grass, yeah? Yeah? I'm not wrong, am I? Can you put National Geographic and just check that? A cow eats grass. And it chews the grass, yeah? Guess what a cow does? It chews the grass. Okay, sorry, guys, if you haven't had dinner yet. And it swallows the food. Then it regurgitates it back up and chews it more. Ellen, what's wrong? And then it chews it, goes down, and comes back again. And what it's doing, the cow, I think up to four times. Yeah, four times. Why? It's chewing all the nutrition it can out of the grass. It's trying to get the fullness of the nutrition from the grass or the hay or whatever. It re- sorry, but... Yeah. Well, you know what? That's awesome if you're going to bring up the Word of God and meditate on it and then bring it back up and meditate on it and think about it. But it's no good if you're chewing on your own vomit every day. Because the Bible says only a dog doesn't even go back to its vomit. I and mean, Christians do. Christians go back to the rubbish that God set you free from. They meditate on the garbage that's there. But you don't know what I've been through. Good, you've been through it. Let me tell you what Jesus went through. But you don't understand what I've been through. But I'll tell you what Jesus went through. But you call yourself a Christian? Yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. Let's meditate on that. Let's meditate on what the goodness of God is, the power of God, the stripes on his back, you are healed, the victory of Calvary. It's thing, this death killed him, but he rose again. He made a place in the Father's house for you and me. We're going to start living out of victory. This world is perishing out there. And they're looking for hope. And the hope is the church. The reason why the world is disaster, because the church is too silent. We're good at picking on people, certain things like, you know, certain big things. We'll put them on a platter, but we won't deal with the little lies that we do between each other. We don't speak truth when truth has to be spoken. We don't stand up for nothing. I've got to say, my walk in the Lord has not been perfect, but I know one thing, I stood firm for who Christ was in my life. And if it meant lose your mother, lose your father, lose your brother, lose your sister, lose your job, I did not care. I made a decision that Christ and Christ alone. I stood firm in what Jesus did for my life, and no one was going to take my salvation off of me. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to throw it out. I wasn't going to. This is not Christianity. This is just us talking to you. Christianity is what you do every day. You know the greatest. You want an anointing to serve God? Walk your salvation out every day. You can go to a conference and feel hyped up and there's nothing wrong. You can go to a healing ministry. Oh, it's awesome. You can have a Bible study. Oh, but what's your walk like every day? Every step I take is towards the Lord. We live out of victory, guys. We're not victims anymore. Oh, but Tony, I'm going through a battle. Deuteronomy 24 says, For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. This is Deuteronomy. You have to understand what Jesus did at the cross. 
and not a Sunday school definition. You know, the Bible says that the blood of Jesus cries out louder than Abel's blood. You've heard that scripture? Okay. Cain killed Abel in Genesis. They had a, that was the first murder recorded in scripture. And the Bible says that, where's your brother, Cain? I don't know. It's not my, I'm not his keeper. He was lying to God as if God didn't know where he was. He says, where's your brother? His blood cries out from the earth. And then the Bible says, when Jesus came, he says, the blood of Jesus cries out a better report than Abel's, louder than angels. You know what, uh, Abel's. You know what that was? Abel, when he was killed by his brother, first murder recorded, was crying out for vengeance. God, my brother has killed me and I need vengeance. But guess whose report is louder? Jesus' blood. He cries out for mercy. When Jesus shed his blood, Jesus was saying, yet the blood of Abel is crying out from the dirt of the earth because he was killed wrongfully and he wanted, he wanted vengeance. He wanted justice. And God says, I'll give you justice. I'm going to send my son on the cross. He'll give you your justice and he'll show him mercy. That's what the blood of Jesus cries out. We're just saying it here. The blood washes us, makes us as white as snow. The blood forgives us. The blood heals us. The blood redeems us. The blood makes us part of his family. It's about the blood of Jesus. About the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we are people that live in victory. Wherever I go, no matter where I'm at, I'll have my down days. I'll have my days where things are coming against me. But I know, listen to me, I know that we have won the victory. Live or die, I'm going to see my Father in heaven. Live or die. Think or swim. I'm going to serve him. I don't care what you think. You know, people say to me, that's a lie. We all care what people think. It's true. We say, I don't care what people think, but we do. Because that's why I asked. You know, for me to say, I don't care what people think, I care. <laughs> Even Jesus cared. Jesus says, what do they say about me? Some say you're this, some say you're that. But what do you say about me? See, Jesus did care what they thought about him, but it never affected him what they thought about him. You can't let what anyone else's opinion think about you. And if, you've, if you're one of the two spies, Joshua, Caleb, that's got 10 people around you telling you all the negative and what you should be doing, what you're owed, and this should happen and that should happen and you have every right, get rid of them because they're going to walk you around the mountain and they're not going to enter the promised land. There's some people you need to get rid of out of your life. You stop feeding on negative. Job had three people around him and his wife. Curse God and die, his wife said. You must have done something, Job. Or, you know, you got all these people. You don't need to tell someone what they're doing wrong. You need to give them hope. There's a place that they come in there. But then if you've been told something 10 times, this is my, you want to hear my pet hate? Come for advice and do the opposite. Go from this guy. I don't like what he said. I'll go to this guy. I don't know. Oh, yeah, but Tony said this. Yeah. Okay, hang on. You didn't tell me the full story. Wait, come here. Come, come. It's funny how you go from place to place to get what you want to hear. The greatest advice I got was what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. When I went through hell and back, I needed to hear something. Give me some hope. They gave me hope, but they gave me truth. But I just, you know, the truth doesn't little way up with the hope because I want someone to rescue me. And when I found out that I needed to hear what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. So a lot of us want to hear what we want to hear. Give me what I want to hear because it makes me feel better. And you're such a nasty person because you told me the truth. Jesus told the truth no matter what. 
a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He said, good teacher. How do I get eternal life? He says, well, what does the law say? Honor your mother and father. And all the things he says, I've kept that since my youth. He's, he, the Bible says Jesus loved this guy. He says, the one thing you lack, give everything you have to the poor and follow me. He didn't say give it to me. He says, give it to the poor. He went home very sad. People judge that guy. Oh, but we do it every day, so let's not judge him. But look at this. Jesus told him truth. He asked Jesus. If he just asked Jesus, where do you want me to put my money? He's not. But he says, how do I get eternal life? And he's saying to that rich young ruler, I know you've kept the law according, and I know you're blessed because that's what was the law. If you kept the law and did what the law said, you were blessed. You were considered righteous. He was a young ruler. So he was wealthy and young. So this guy's had it all made. And he says to him, but there's one thing. If you want eternal life, if you want the true eternal life that follows me, your money owns you and give it away and follow me. Because he could have said to him, if you give me, if you give it away, I'll give you a hundredfold better. That's what the scripture says. You, can, you can't outgive God. You can't give. He, he didn't say that. He said, I want to deal with your heart. He says, give it all and follow me. And you know what he said? I'm sorry, I can't do that. And he walked away. And then the disciples started getting edgy because they, they own boats and they own things. They go, and Peter says, who can be saved? <laughs> like they're worried about, they come after Aggie now. And he says, what's impossible for man is impossible. For, it's possible for God. He says, he says, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. He wasn't saying that if you're rich, you can't go to heaven. People misunderstand that scripture. Because a rich man in Australia is a poor man in America. A poor man in Australia is a rich man in Africa. So what's rich? What he was saying is if your riches own you and it's all about what you want, guess what? The camel that will go through an eye of a needle. Does anyone understand the camel through the eye of the needle? In Jerusalem, you know those little arches? They've got a big wall around Jerusalem. They've got arches. That's the eye of the needle. And when people would come, they were really low. So they didn't want to get raided. So people running with horses and camels and chariots and attack the city, so it's low. So what they do, they get to the gates, then they have to jump off the camel, take the load off the camel. Their camel will get on its knees and they'd walk through there and then, and then they get through to the city. So it's easier for that to happen than for you, a rich man to get to heaven. In other words, a camel can't run through with his rider. The rider has to get off. He has to humble himself, get on his knees, repent, take the load, all the rubbish that you carry with you. God takes you off you. Then you enter the promised land, just like Jesus says. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Does that make sense? Amen. Can we stand? I want to finish off with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. I pray I encourage you today. I pray that you just get out here with your chest held high and know that your Father's with you, not against you. He is for you, not against you. See, sometimes we can, people lie to us. that You're sweet. God's got it under control. Nothing's going to happen. Just come to Jesus. Mate, more things happen when you come to Jesus. But we need to empower you to get over that hurdle because the walk with the Lord. Okay, let me ask you a question. Would you rather live in a 10-story mansion with a pool and a car without Jesus or in the slum and the side street of a back street of Guildford with Jesus? Let's be honest. Uh, Andrew got upset because I said Guildford. All right, make it, uh, make it Granville. All right. Guildford West then. 
He can wear that for a second. Okay, Ephesians. Let me get it. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all you can do is stand. Take up the full armor of God. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I was, but I'm not going to. But when I say something, the Bible says, put on the whole armor. You all know this from kindergarten. Put on the helmet of salvation, which is the mind of Christ. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is his righteousness that he gave you as a gift. Put on the belt of truth, his truth. If you don't put it on, this truth is out there. But when you put on truth and walk in truth, it, it, the Bible says it girds it. It locks it all together. What's the next one? The sandals of peace, prepared for the gospel. When we walk somewhere, we walk to do what? We walk in the name of Jesus to preach the gospel. What's the ones? The sword of the, the, the shield of faith. My Lord is my shield and my great reward. He's my faith. The sword of the spirit, the word of God. And then once you've put all that on, because you've got to read before it, your battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. So if my battle is against principalities and powers, what's an armor? What's a Roman army man's gear got to do with that? It's spiritual. Because then when you've done all that, when you've come to the knowledge of Christ and asked Jesus to put his mind into your mind, the mind of Christ, when you've repented and received his salvation and the gift of righteousness, when you put on truth, and understand that the truth will set you free. When you put on the sandals of the gospel of peace that he came, because the Bible says your feet run to, to do sin. But when you put on the sandals of peace of the gospel, you run to preach the gospel. Then you put on the shield, which protects you from the fiery darts of the enemy. Then you've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Once you do that, he goes, stand, which means I'm ready to go. Too many people are going, I've got the shield of faith and I've got you, man. And he's running backwards, but we've got to stand. And did you know that the, when, the, when, the, when the, the, the soldiers in those days, they had sandals on? But do you know when they got into battle, they took the sandals off? Because the sandals were no good sliding around in mud. The ground wasn't straight and nice like a football field. It was rocky terrain. They take, when they got to the battlefield, they took their shoes off. They gripped their toes so they can fight. You know what? Too many Christians have still got their sandals on. Take them off because it's holy ground. Grip your feet and ready to go for a fight. Because guess who's behind us? Jesus. Are you with me? But the armour isn't something you put on, take off. The armour is who you are in Christ. It's the new nature that's on the inside of you. The armour of God is what Christ has already done for you. You've got to start believing it. So when the devil attacks you in the mind, you say, I have the mind of Christ. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Oh, coming with the sword. Of the, the word says, the shield of faith. I'm not a loser. I'm not a victim. I'm not broke. I'm not sick. There's a... You get what I'm trying to say here? Are you with me? Are you with me? It's time to rise up as warriors. The greatest devil's tactic is to take away the fight out of you. The modern day people have put their little kids in cotton wool, can't climb a tree, can't jump a fence, can't ride a bike. And when it comes, let's fight the good fight of faith. They don't know how to fight. We've got trained speakers who walk around in fluffy wings and talking crap. And go get a guy that's been in the trenches to come and fight for you. We have a generation of people that want to be nicely and lovely and don't upset anyone. And Jesus offended everybody. He didn't offend people just for the sake of offending, but he spoke truth which brought offence. The gospel is offensive to the Jew and a stumbling block 
sorry, a stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Greek. The gospel is a stumbling block to the Jew, or let me say it this way, religious people, the simplicity of the gospel, and it's stupid to people that want to look at genealogy and spirituality and, and woke, wokeness and all this liberal rubbish that we talk about and there's no hell anymore and there's no sin anymore and, and it's all about psychology and it's all about, and people are going to hell. But we're going to stand because we've already won the victory, amen? Amen? If God be for me, who can be against me? We win the victory. I don't care what it looks like on the outside. I'll worry about what's happening on the inside. I don't want to be a whitewashed term, looks good on the outside, full of dead man's bones. I want to be a man that says, you know what? I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my children. I'm going to fight for my wife. I'm going to fight for my brothers. I'm going to fight for my, I'm going to fight for my. Paul said this, I've gone through hell and back, and my only concern is not getting whipped, not getting shipwrecked, not getting stoned, not trying to get killed, not starving. My only concern is you, the church. What a man. It's about the church, the body of Christ, the believer, you, me. And once we get a hold of that, we're uncontrollable. The Apostle Paul had a messenger of Satan. The Bible says, people have argued whether his rabbis are going to share on it one day. It's going to be an amazing revelation. But I got out this, a messenger of Satan to buffet him for his revelation. A messenger of Satan, if you look at it, it's an angel of the devil. Satan's angels, a principality. A, a, a principality that would run a nation is coming after one man, Paul, because of his revelation, because he was so uncontrollable. One man was uncontrollable. The whole of hell goes, mate, we've got to stop this guy. Let's shipwreck him. Let's bash him. Let's whip him. Let's... Doesn't stop. Doesn't stop. And now he's in jail. He's in chains and he's preaching, I can fight. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Let's get a spirit like that. Let's not read his letters and say, but you don't understand what I've been through. I do understand what you've been through. Let's compare my story with your story. Come on. Let's compare stories of how bad your life was in my life. And when we finish, all we've done is put Band-Aids on a big cut. We've put Band-Aid on a cancer. But when we talk about his story, he cuts out the cancer. He brings healing and gets you over the hill. You don't need prayer 55 times a day. You need to know who you are in Christ. You're Christ-like. You are a Christian because you are like him. You'll never be him, but you are like him. I'm trying to encourage you to fight. Someone said to me, what's your message? I go, let's fight. We need some people to rise up. Thank God for my brother Rabs. He edifies me. I edify him. We edify you. You edify us. We walk together. Why? Because we want to stand and fight. I'm not gonna, no, it's no point in having thousand people here, everyone busted and disgusted. Have five people here that can take on the world. Twelve change the world. Twelve change the world. If Jesus had a marketing guy, because that doesn't work. Don't pick him. He's a tax collector. Don't pick him. He's a fisherman. He doesn't even know how to speak properly. Thank God Jesus is Jesus. Someone said to me, thank God for God. <laughs> but you have been called. You've been in the mind of God before creation. God knew you before you were born. He needed you in your mother's womb. Stop listening to the lies of the devil and start believing what he says about you. And listen, can I say this to people with kids? I, I'm a big Speak life into your kids. When I was going through the death, this is something so simple. When I was going through my hardest times, I was, I was in church. I was faithful. 
And there's times where, man, oh, the Holy Spirit's not moving in this church. I had all the judgments I could, but God had me sitting in that place to humble me. And you know what? Every time my pastor, if I called my pastor to ask him something or I bump into him, he'd say, G'day, champion, how are you? And I, I didn't feel like a champion. Just lost my house, lost my car, got no job, basically homeless, three kids. What happened? And every time he said, G'day, champion. G'day, champion. Hey, champ, how are you, champ? Every time. And before you know it, I started to think to myself, hang on. The champion in me is Christ. And I started to say that to my own boys. G'day, champ. Hey, champ. G'day, champ. How are you, champ? I started to speak life. He spoke life into me. Tony, come, come in an opposite spirit. I was looking for some great revelation how to get through a hurdle. He goes, come in an opposite spirit. I'll be in the down, in the dumps, depressed, and I'll come and tell jokes to everyone. Make everyone laugh. I'll go home. I'll go, oh, I'm glad they're happy. But I come in the opposite spirit. I'm not pretending. I'm just going to agree with what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The Lord says, I'm free. I've got the victory in Calvary's cross. I'm going to be like that. I'm going to walk like that. I'm not going to walk as a victim anymore. The devil wants two people to be victims and be chains, but we're not in chains. We have won the victory. Amen. Can someone say Amen. God bless you. Let's pray. So therefore, once you know what it's there for, then you stand in the victory of what Jesus did. People say to me all the time, but you don't know, I grew up in a broken family. Yeah, me too. Well, you don't know what I've been through. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, 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 me too. How'd you get through? Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus said, do not call anyone father. We only have one father in heaven. What do you mean by that? The Bible says, honor your mother and father. But what he was saying, do not call the one that birthed you. God is the one that birthed you and gave you life. So no one, your father, your mother, your brother, you cannot give you life. Only your father in heaven gives you life. The Bible says, do not call anyone teacher. We only have one teacher. The Bible says that we've got teachers in the body of Christ. But he says, you know what? The true teacher is the Holy Spirit. The Father God comes in as your Father. The Holy Ghost comes in as your teacher. And guess what? We're in Christ and we get the benefit of the whole kingdom. So I don't know where you are tonight. Please don't misunderstand me. We love you guys. It's not like your problems don't matter. doesn't mean that your problems aren't great, but there's someone greater. You might have some giants in your life and you're going by what you'll see. But go get around people like Joshua. Get around people like Caleb that can see what God has said and teach you what God has said and show you how to win the victory instead of 10, 10 other guys that tell you you can't do this. We're scared. The land was theirs. God gave him the land. The giants in your life could be many things, but let me tell you something. Your fight isn't the giant. Your fight is to believe what Christ has said about you and giants flee. The righteous will fall down seven times, but he still gets up. You might have been knocked down, bashed down, hit down by life. Keep getting up. Keep getting up. So, Father, I pray tonight that the victory of Calvary's cross, that the blood of Jesus shed to wash us and make us as white as snow, for the life-giving spirit that's in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For the mind that I have is the mind of Christ, that I see and think like Jesus. I have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the heart 
to feel and imagine what the Father has in store for me. For there's no greater love than one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says, I'll call you friend and I'll lay down my life. But I'll take it up again to give you everlasting life. So Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you the victory is ours in Christ Jesus. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Listen to me. If God be for you, who can be against you? If God be for you, who can be against you? And if you're struggling in any way, lay it at the cross of Calvary. Lay it. And if you've done it 10 times, do it 11. Like he said, a righteous man will fall seven times, but he keeps getting up. So, Father, I thank you for tonight. For those who do not know Jesus, Father, that would, would repent, turn around and look back, turn away from their old ways, their own mind, and look back, look forward to the cross of Calvary and see Jesus on that cross. Any man be crucified with Christ is a new creation. But let the love of the Father fall upon my friends right now, my brothers, my sisters, Lord. Those listening online who are listening online, let the love of Jesus fall upon you right now. The love of Jesus, the Father's love, Paul. Jesus came to make his Father our Father. And let his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thank you, Father, for this wonderful people here, your, your children, Lord. I thank you from today on, whether they're on top of the hill or down in the valley, that will confess your name. And your name is true. Your word is true. Salvation is only comes by hearing that Jesus has died and rose again. Thank you for the blood that sanctifies us, washes us, and makes us as white as snow. And we lift up the name of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I take off all the shackles off my brothers and sisters, Lord. Break those shackles that would hold them back, that unbelief and fear that would hold them back and let them walk into their victory. I give you praise and honour. I give you all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Bless you guys.